Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, we'll get there in a minute, but I need your grace this morning, really not for me, but for, for uh, Ross in the back, because <laughs> Ross doesn't have any, any notes, okay? There's nothing to tell him when to go to the next slide. We're just going to, this is all on, this isn't a spontaneous message. I don't want you to think that I haven't prepared. I have prepared, but I don't have anything to go off of. Does that make sense? So, because I don't have anything to go off of, Ross doesn't have anything to go off of. So that's why it's probably better for you to follow along in your Bible. Find it in Luke chapter 5. But before we get to Luke chapter 5, I want to talk to you a little bit from, I want to read Mark chapter 1, verse 16. You don't need to turn over there. We're just going to look at a verse or two. We'll get back to Luke in a minute. Mark chapter 1, verse 16, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, which is Simon Peter, it's going to become Peter, and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Keep that in mind, okay? That's a really important title that he wears in this story. He's a fisherman. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets. You get this interesting verse there. At once they left their nets and followed him. Now he got, they got an invitation from the rabbi. Come follow me. Now let's go over to Luke chapter 5. This story, I've wanted to teach this for a really long time. If you could see my Bible, I don't know if you can see that or not, but I've just written all over the place in this Bible and, and this story is one of my favorites because it's so rich in what it teaches, and, and it just means a lot to me. And I've been planning to do this with you for about a month. Um, so we're just going to read it, and I'm going to tell you as we go. I'm going to make the points as we go, all right? Uh, one day Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Now, People sometimes confuse the the account that we just read in Mark with what I'm reading now in Luke, and these are two separate accounts. They are not the same, okay? And there's, I could go into why, but I don't have to, I don't want to do that this morning. Just know that they're not the same. Here's what I know. I know that these guys that Jesus invited to follow him, I know that they're hanging out with him. I know that they're there in this story we're going to read but they're not completely committed, and I'll show you why in just a minute. One day Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him. This is a common theme for Jesus. People are always crowding around. They're listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen. That's how we know that they're not disciples. They're still fishing. They haven't left. They're, 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 they're doing what they were doing when they met Jesus the first time. They may be hanging out with Jesus. They haven't gotten to the point where they've committed to him, where they've said, we're, we're not going to do this anymore. We're just going to follow you. They're still fishermen who were washing their nets. Now, you know, these guys, are, they're hard workers. This is blue-collar stuff. They probably didn't have a lot, and so these nets have to be taken care of. They got fish junk on them and If you didn't tend to your nets, if you didn't clean them, if you didn't take good care of them, they would get really hard. They wouldn't be pliable. They didn't work right. So you couldn't just take them out of the water after you caught a bunch of fish and throw them in the corner of the boat and leave it. You needed to tend to them a little bit, and so that's what they're doing. And as they're doing that, Jesus is teaching. 
Now don't think for a second that, that as Peter is cleaning his nets, he doesn't hear what Jesus has to say. He's listening. He's picking up on stuff. Fishermen who were washing their nets, verse 3, is that 3? I've written it so much I can't even read the numbers. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, there's a couple things that I want you to do while while we're going through this. The first one is this. I need you to put on your sanctified imaginator. That's what my... My, um, my New Testament professor in college called it your sanctified imaginator. What is that? That's this thing where you're able to close your eyes and imagine what it was like. I want you to close your eyes and imagine being close to the water's edge. And I don't think it would have been like crashing waves on the shore. I think it would have been more like a, a lapping up on the shore. Just a quiet, you know, the water coming in quietly. But you, you get a sense that you're around water. Maybe it's cool. Maybe there's a little bit of a surf coming off the water blowing your hair back a little bit, the, the smells that you might smell, the, the fish smell, the maybe body odor from these fishermen who've been out all night working, uh, maybe your own, because you know it was, just, it was a different time. Um, the sand underneath your sandals, feel you know the thong between your toes where maybe you had your shoes on. Just imagine seeing those boats, those big fishing boats that those guys would use, and then you've got this crowd of people. I want you to imagine all of that stuff. And then Jesus gets in this boat, and and it says he wants to push away from the shore. Verse 4, right? When when he'd finished speaking, he said to, to Simon, put out into deep water, and let down the nets for a catch. Now, so first of all, let me set the stage for why Jesus wanted to push off in the first place. He's surrounded by people. At Lake Gennesaret, especially on the northern edge, there's, there's places, they have these coves where the, 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 you know, would go back these really pretty coves. And when you had these coves, the way the landscape was, it kind of made a, a natural amphitheater in several different places. And so Jesus is in one of these places where one of these natural amphitheaters kind of exists. He, so he's, taking, he's making use of, of a scientific thing that we know that, that our voices kind of bounce off of water. Water can amplify a voice. And so he gets in the boats partly to get away from the crowd, but he's also in the boats to, to, to take advantage of the natural amphitheater that he has and, and the water that will bounce his voice. And then keep in mind that he's moved away from a crowd. There's a crowd watching all this as he gets in Peter's boat, tells him to push away. And then verse 4, when he finished speaking, said, put into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, Jesus <laughs> is not a fisherman, evidenced by these commands. Every fisher, because what Jesus is doing is Jesus is breaking the unwritten rules of Lake Gennesaret. There were two basic rules. You didn't fish in the daytime, you fished at night. And you didn't fish in the deep, you fished in the medium to shallow water. And part of that is because of the temperature of the water and what you were able to catch and, and 
how the nets worked and things like that. But those two things, you fished at night and you fished in the shallows. You didn't fish in the deep. Well, Jesus, these guys, keep in mind, they have been mending their nets. They've got everything mended and washed and it's all put, they're getting ready to put it all away and be done. They have fished all night long. They're getting ready. They want to go home and, and crawl into bed and get some sleep. They've worked hard and Jesus now tells them, hey, why don't you do it one more time? And now that you've got all this stuff put away, now that all this stuff is clean, Let's get it all back out, and let's do it again. I just have a question for you. If you're a fisherman, and a guy that builds things for a living, he's a carpenter, tells you to go back out and try again, how willing are you to go do it? Verse 5. Simon answered, Master. (laughs) He's going to protest a little bit. Master. We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Because you say so, he's been listening. He's been hanging out with Jesus. He's seen some things. We have, I mean, on the page I'm looking at right here, right before this story, there's two different uh, miracle accounts. Peter has seen some things out of Jesus. Because you say so, I will do it. I'm lost. Hold on, give me, let me just, I will let down the nets. Verse six. So what I want you to understand is his life is about to change. Because he does what Jesus tells him to do, his life is never, ever going to be the same after this. Verse six. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Can you imagine fishing all night? Now, when, when Jesus says, hey, put out into the deep, and, and I want you to do it while it's daylight, all these people that are on the shore who are familiar with fishing on Lake Gennesaret, they, they know that you, that's not how you do it. They were probably sitting back going, oh, this is going to be interesting. What's he going to do? How's this going to go? Let's, let's find out what happens here. So Peter has this, you know, this decision to make, and, and he says, Lord, because you tell me I'll do it, but understand that Peter's doing this in front of an audience of people that think he's nuts for doing what this guy's telling him what to do. Their nets began to break, so they signaled their partners in the other boat, this is verse 7, to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. I looked that word up, sink. And the way it's written, it's a, the, the tense and, and everything. It's basically, it could mean that it's taken on water. I don't, I don't think that it's taken on water. I think it means that it's sitting low in the water. It's so heavy with fish. These boats were made to be, you know, be, have a lot of fish in them. But the, the odds are pretty good that this boat has more fish in it than this boat has ever seen before. Tons of fish in this boat. It's, it's heavy. It's, it's weighted down. It's sitting down in the water. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. That's an interesting thing to say. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. This happens and Peter falls at the knees. Jesus is sitting in this boat and he falls at the knees of Jesus and he starts to confess that he's sinful and go away from me i I am not worthy then jesus said to simon don't be afraid from now on you will catch men and that word catch the way it's written there in greek that is you're going to catch them alive this is going to be a this is going to be an adventure 
Your life is never going to be the same. I'm going to do things with you that you never imagined. It's going to be so wild, so amazing. You're about to become fishers of men. You're going to catch men. You're going to catch them alive. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Did Jesus ask them to follow? Not that's recorded. It's interesting that they they were ready to follow after this event. No longer will they be fishermen from now on. They will be disciples. Let's talk about that for a minute. There's a story. uh, Over in Matthew chapter 14, there's a story that is familiar to you. It's the story of Jesus when he walks on water. We've all heard that story. Jesus puts the disciples on a boat, sends them out across the water. He's going to go meet them, tells them he'll meet them. He goes to pray a little bit, then he decides to to go... He decides to take a stroll on the water. We're told that the wind is up, the water is choppy. I don't know that it was a storm per se, but there there was some chop to the water. And as he's walking across the water, the disciples look off this boat and they see him and it says that some of them thought it was a ghost. But Peter, when he realizes it's the Lord, Peter gets excited. And that's where I want to pick up. This is Matthew 14, verse 28. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, I love Peter. He's dumb and stupid and so much like me. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? The first question that I ask when I read that particular story is, what was Peter thinking? What causes a man to get out of a boat and think that he can walk on water? Why would he do that? He's a disciple. And a disciple does what his master does. And he's so excited that it's Jesus. He wants to get to him. And he's so excited. He's like, I wanna, I wanna, if, if Jesus can walk on water, I can walk on water. Lord, can I come to you? And Jesus is like, come on. Yeah, get out here. And Peter, I think, I don't, don't know how, if he thought it all the way through. You know, when I was a kid, maybe you can relate to this. When I was a kid, we used to ride our bikes. And our, we, our park had these trails that the bigger kids had made. And some of them were really like humpy and there was one place where you could really get really high in the air so high that it was scary like you're in midair like I am about to die right or my right in front of my house when I was growing up we had this great big hill I lived on at the bottom of a big hill in our subdivision and it was perfect for skateboarding but when I was a little guy and just learning how to skateboard you know you get on there and and you're going down and the board whole board starts to wiggle and you're like, you're going to crash and burn. You should not be doing this, right? That moment where you realize, oh my goodness, what was I thinking? I think that's where Peter is. I think he's in that place where he's like, he's out on the water. All of a sudden, he's like, what, what am I doing? And he starts to sink. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Now, here's the question. What's Peter doubting? Is, he can't be doubting Jesus. Jesus isn't sinking. Jesus is making his way across the water just fine. I think Peter doubts himself. I think Peter realizes, you know what? (laughs) You are not Jesus. 
He sees this wave, and how many times are we told in Scripture, don't be afraid? 365 times, I think, is the number I have in my head that we're told in Scripture, do not be afraid. Perfect love casts out fear. God's love casts out fear. God wants you to know that you are so loved that he doesn't want you to worry, and he doesn't want you to be afraid. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. See, when you see God do something amazing, you start to worship. I want to talk to you just a minute about how someone comes to follow a rabbi. See, every little fellow, when he's born into the world as a Jewish little boy in this time, all these families were looking, hoping they would have a boy. Ladies, I hate to disappoint you, but they were hoping for a boy. Why did they hope for a boy? They were hoping that they would be the one that would have the Messiah. Now, he really needed to be from the right line and things like that, but um, I think even all of them just kind of hoped somehow they could be the one that could have the Messiah. And so these little boys would be born, and at about six years of age, these little boys would go off to school, something called Beit Sefer. And in Beit Sefer, they would be taught by this rabbi, and the rabbi would work with them, and from the time they were six to the time they were ten, they memorized the first five books of the Old Testament, what we call the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Can you imagine by the time you're 10, knowing those books by heart? Think about that. They knew it all. If you were good enough, and not every kid was good enough, a lot of kids washed out in this process. And when they washed out, it was a disappointment to the parents. But if you were good enough, and you got to the end, if you were one of the best, then you got to go to the next step, which was called Beit Talmud. In Beit Talmud, you would memorize the whole Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi. Can you imagine knowing by heart over half of your Bible? And they would work and work and work, and, and, they would come, and still, some washed out, some didn't make it. They just didn't have what it took. But if they got all the way through Beit Talmud and the, and the rabbi said, hey, I think you've got what it takes to take the next step. The next step was something called Beit Midrash. This happened about the time you were 15, 14, 16, right in there. And if you were one of the best of the best, you got to go to Beit Midrash. Now here's what we know about, about Peter and his cohorts that are on the beach here in Luke. They've washed out. They weren't good enough. They didn't make it. They'd been a disappointment. That's why they're fishing. They've taken the family trade. They're fishermen. They're not disciples. They know they didn't measure up. Because the best of the best of the best got to go to Beit Midrash. And in Beit Midrash, you would spend time with this this rabbi and he would grill you he would ask you questions about the torah he would ask you questions about the law he would ask you questions about the great traditions of the faith and he sat back and he was watching and listening to your responses he wanted to know does this kid have what it takes can he be one of the can he be one of the best of the best of the best is he worthy to follow me and be my disciple do i want to spend my time on him is he going to be worth it can he do it 
The rabbis all interpreted scripture a little differently. It's kind of like preachers today. You know, it's not, you don't even have to be a preacher. You, may, you probably have interpretations of certain scriptures that you read that would be different than the way that I would interpret those. Don't know who's right. It's just, you know, we, we, we interpret, sometimes we interpret things differently. Well, the rabbis would interpret scripture differently. And when, when they interpreted a scripture, what that was known as, they called that their yoke. This is my yoke. This is the way I interpret it. This is the way I do it. And so the hope was, if you had applied to this rabbi to be taught by him, the hope was that he would sit back and listen to your answers and your responses and come to the conclusion, I, I think this kid's got what it takes. And that he would say, take my yoke upon you and follow me. And that was the dream for every parent of every little boy that was ever born. And this had not been possible for Peter, Andrew, James, and John. There's an interesting little passage of Scripture just two pages back from the story that I was reading a minute ago. This comes from Matthew 11, verse 28, and this is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, and I think it's going to become clear to you why when we read it. This is Jesus talking. He's going to talk like a rabbi. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The invitation of the rabbi. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And now I want to take you back to Luke chapter 5 and verse 8. And let's look at that again. When Peter has seen Jesus do this amazing thing, he's seen this amazing catch of fish in the middle of the day when it's not supposed to happen, in water where it's not supposed to happen. How in the world did Jesus pull this off? And Peter realizes he's in the middle. He's looking at greatness. He's... he's in the presence of God, it starts to hit him, and he falls to Jesus' knees, and he says, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. What, what Peter's saying in that moment is, I washed out. I wasn't good enough. I've never been good enough for this kind of thing. I can't be a disciple. You're, you're clearly someone special. I have no business trying to follow you. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. There's that phrase, don't be afraid. We are told this over and over and over in Scripture. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Christians should not be afraid. When you trust in God, you're not afraid. When you trust in God, you do not worry. We hear it over and over in Scripture. Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. They pulled up their boats onto the shore, left everything, and followed him. When you followed the rabbi, if he walked through a mud puddle, you walked through a mud puddle. It's said that when they followed the rabbi, 
if the rabbi had, as I get older, I've got a foot that's giving me trouble. My right foot hurts all the time, and I, I almost can't walk anymore without a limp. And so if I were a rabbi, I probably would walk with a little bit of a gait. And, and if I had disciples, they would watch that gait, and over time, they would come to mimic that gait. They would want to be just like the rabbi. They would do whatever the rabbi did. They, w- did. they would walk the way the rabbi walked. So I, I've got a couple of questions for you this morning before we go home. Here's one of them. As we stand on the precipice of 2023, let me just ask you the question, what would it look like if you listened for the master's voice and you obeyed what the master said, no matter what it was? How would you? Peter's life changed forever when he obeyed that command from Jesus, put out into the deep and let down your nets. He had every reason to push back. Every reason to fight back and say, Jesus, you're a carpenter, you're not a fisherman, you don't know the rules of this lake. Rule number one, you don't catch fish on Gennesaret in the middle of the day. It just doesn't happen. And if you're going to catch fish by chance in the middle of the day, which isn't going to happen, but if you were, you're going to do it in the shallow water, you're not going to do it in the deep water. But I'll do it your way. Even though I've got all these people back here watching me and they're all laughing, snickering right now, watching to see what I'm going to do. And they're going to watch me take nets that I've just cleaned. I'm tired. I don't feel like doing this. I, I know what I'm talking about in this, Jesus. You're not, a car, you're not a fisherman. But because you say so, I will let down these nets. What if that's you in 2023? How might your life look differently Different if you started in 2023 to just say, when Jesus tells me to do something, I'm not going to push back. I'm not going to fight against it. I'm going to be obedient. That's the first question. Here's the second question. What does it look like in my life for me to try to be like the master, to forgive like him, to serve like him, to pray like him, to follow after God's heart like him? to make everything about God. What would it look like in 2023 if I completely dedicated myself to being like my master? It is said that when the rabbi would walk into a town or a village, his people, you know, his students would be in lockstep behind him trying to be just like him. And the prayer that got prayed over the the disciples Uh, Often, the prayer was, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Let me just ask you, in 2023, what would it look like if you were covered in the dust of Rabbi Jesus? How would your life change? What would be different? How much better would it be? Peter's life got a whole lot better (laughs) when he did what Jesus told him to do. Now, it was an adventure. And Peter would eventually lose his life for the Lord. And I think if you were to ask Peter, would you do it all again? Oh, yes. In a heartbeat. May you be covered in the dust of the rabbi. Let's pray. Father, following you is really, really hard. You are perfect. You call us to some really hard things. You ask us to do hard things like forgive. You ask us to trust you. Sometimes that's hard because we can't see where you're going. 
There's a lot of things about this following Jesus that are really, it sounds simple, it sounds really simple, but it's the hardest thing I've ever tried to do in my life. To not be afraid, to have trust and faith, to forgive those who hurt me, to turn the other cheek, to serve those who are unlovely or un, where, where there's nothing in it for me, to lay my life down and, and give. All the things that Jesus did. Well, Father, that's where we find ourselves this morning on the cusp of a new year. Lord, I pray a rich blessing on this church family, these people that mean so much to me, that this would be their best year. With all the uncertainty and everything that, that, that lies out there that we don't know what's going to happen, some of it's awesome, some of it's horrible. Help us to not be afraid. Help us to trust. Help us to serve. Help us to forgive. Cover us in the dust of the rabbi. We pray it in Jesus' name. All God's people said.